Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. This week, we have guest speaker Dr. Joel Kretko kicking off our new sermon series in the Book of Jonah. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Uh, And today, we are talking about a new subject. It's up there on the board, a new sermon series in a wee little book in the Old Testament that you may have read, maybe you haven't. Uh, It's crammed in the middle of your Bible, and it's only a few pages long, but it's one of the most well-recognized stories of, uh, in the whole Bible, I would say. So here it is, Jonah, a reluctant prophet. And so I've got the privilege of introducing this sermon series to you all and to covering the the first chapter. So Jonah, Yonah is actually the Hebrew there, and his name means dove. It's like, and it fits his character, right? Because he's just going to up and fly away. And you've probably heard the story before, but... I would like to do something different today, okay? I want, I want to try something with you all. I want us to uh, forget the book of Jonah, if possible. Many of you have heard it a million times. You've seen flanographs, like all these things in Sunday school. Like, it, like this is a very well-known story, and what I'd like you to do is take all that and put it over here and forget that for the next four weeks, okay? That's the goal today, and I especially want you to forget the ending, because we all know the ending, we're like, oh, and this is Jonah, and he's like this, and he does that, and this is what happens in the end, and blah, blah, blah. Like, forget that. I want you to imagine you're reading it for the first time as we go through today, okay? Because I think it changes the way you see the story. I want you to also imagine, we're going to try to, I'm going to try and help you here, to, be, to imagine as though you were an Israelite reading this for the first time a long, long time ago. Like, what kind of questions would you have? What kind of assumptions would you have? What, what's going on in this text? How does the story play out? Like, we want to ask these things, because the book comes alive when you do that. All right, so we're going to forget the ending. So the whole book's over here, and we're starting fresh. You've never read it before, okay? And if you've never actually read the book of Jonah, great. You're, you're, you're perfect for this. <laughs> it's, a, it's a roller coaster of a book, okay? It's, and I think it helps us navigate our own lives and how we interact with God. Okay, but there are, a, there's a bit of information that we're going to need to cover first, because we're introducing this sermon series. And uh, there's some things that might not make sense to everybody because it's an ancient book, okay? So we're going to do a couple of things here uh, as a matter of introduction. Introduction. So hopefully this works for me. Oh, it does. Nice. Okay. So first verse here, and then we'll talk about a couple of those. The word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. So that's the first verse, not a complete sentence. The word of Yahweh, so you might, if you have a Bible in front of you, I encourage you, if you want to take out your Bible, please do, uh, on your phone or whatever. But the word of Yahweh, it might say word of the Lord in your translation. Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is just a placeholder for the the personal name of God in the Old Testament, which is something like Yahweh um, for its pronunciation. And so it's a personal story. We're dealing with a personal story, God's personal name. He is dealing with one of his followers, namely Jonah. And so Yahweh is a God who speaks in the Old Testament. He's a God who speaks to his people. He speaks clearly to his people. And sometimes he'll take a person and say, hey, you, I want you to be the vehicle where I'm speaking to them. And so that's the role of a prophet. And so when the word of Yahweh comes to someone, it's God saying, hey, you, I want you to speak to whoever, whatever people. And that's what Jonah is. He's a prophet. Uh, so God's a communicating God. And so this prophetic message is going to the, 
Jonah, son of Amittai. And if you're a keener out there, maybe you are, you'll say, I know exactly who Jonah, son of Amittai is, because I know exactly it's from 2 Kings 14.25. Doubtful, but if so, amazing, you have a photographic memory. That's incredible. But uh, he's mentioned once. In the whole Bible, you've got Jonah in the book of Jonah, son of Amittai, and Jonah in 2 Kings. And in 2 Kings, he just gets like a verse. And basically, it's Jonah, son of Amittai, he speaks to the evil king, he says not to do something, and that's basically it. So there's this guy, Jonah, son of Amittai, living around 750 B.C. So 750 years before Jesus is what we're talking about here. And we really don't know a lot more about Jonah than that. But we do know what happened around this time. Okay, around this time in history, and if you ever took a intro Bible class at a seminary or at a college, this is something that would be, and this is an Old Testament class, yeah, if, in that class, there's a date that every single one of those classes you took, uh, across the board, you're always going to get this date, and that date is 722 BCE. And so, my question, does anyone know what happened in 722 BCE? I'm, I'm not going to quiz you too hard. I won't, I, I won't ask immediately. I'm going to say wait and think in your brain if you can think about it. Maybe you took a Bible college class many years ago, but what happened in 722? So I'll let that sit, simmer, and before I ask, come back and ask you, I'm going to point randomly. No, kidding, kidding, kidding. <laughs> uh, personal question before, before that, okay? H- has there ever been anyone in your life uh, that you were afraid of and you d- despised? Has, has there ever been anyone, and I'm going to be honest here, just on, like, someone you, you hated, but also made like the hair on the back of your neck stand up when they came in the room? And then, I know some of you, I can hear the nervous laughter. Some of you are going, oh, you can't say that. We're Christians. You can't hate people. <laughs> to which I say, save it for the choir. <laughs> because in reality, we all have these relationships where we just oh, don't like someone and it's a struggle to get past that, right? Okay, so I want you, can you think of someone like that? Because I can, and, I, and I'm going to tell you that story. <laughs> I'll start, all right? I'll be the first one to admit it. Okay, it's about, the time is about 2013. Uh, I'm a young sales rep for PepsiCo Beverages. For Pepsi, I was a sales rep back then. You know, hairs on my head, not gray, which they are starting to go gray now, and my back had yet to tell me that it hated me every morning. So a while back... Uh, I'm, I'm a sales rep going to large format stores, so Walmart, Superstore, Save-On Foods. And I have to go in, I have to talk to the managers. And we all love managers of stores, right? Like, they can be characters, right? Like, managers can be characters. And if you're in sales and you're in retail, you know managers can be characters. So, there was a character. This character, and for the sake of privacy, I'm going to call her Karen. <laughs> Now, now, because a lot of you laughed, you know what, that the cultural reference, but for those of you who don't know the cultural reference, Karen has become a term that's used in like retail or whatever for somebody who's entitled, rude, mean, like, ugh, a Karen, okay? Uh, I'm sorry if your name is Karen. You, I'm sure you're lovely, but that is the term I'm using for this individual, for privacy's sake. Okay, so uh, yeah, this manager was such a Karen, Okay. Let me tell you. Uh, So I go into the store, and she would intentionally not talk to me. So if I'm in the same room, she pretends I'm invisible. And so if then I address her, 
uh, sometimes she'll respond to me, sometimes she'll ignore me. And then when we are having a conversation, she refers to me in the third person. So I'm the runner. I'm not the sales rep. She calls me the runner. Okay, so like, come on. And then a, a lot of other days, I'd be finishing a job, and then just as I finish and I'm walking out, she stops and she goes, yeah, no, you, you got to redo that. Like, it was done perfectly fine, right? So again, such a Karen. Okay, so <laughs> this manager, <laughs> I feared going to the store. And I honestly, I hated her. Like, I couldn't stand her. She was a vindictive bully, queen and empress of Walmart, all right? But one day, her empire came to an end. One day, she fell from her heights. She was caught, I kid you not, stealing from the company consistently, like a record of theft. Then, and what, I wasn't actually there, but I imagine in a, a parade of pure shame where there's lines of people down the main aisle just cheering and, 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 and like dancing that she was marched through the main aisle and out the front door never to return again. So I feared her, I hated her, but I was so glad when, she, when, she, when her kingdom came to an end. Now you might say, oh, Joel, not great of you. I'm just telling you the truth here, okay? I like feared and did not like at all. And I mean, I would have never done anything to actually like stop her reign of terror. Uh, me personally, way too afraid. But uh, I'm glad someone did. Okay, so... We have these people, we have these images, these things that we're just terrified of and afraid of and don't like. And so we circle back to 722 BCE. Does anyone want to take a, can anyone raise a hand? You don't have to, but if you know it, do you know it? Anyone? Anyone? Euler? What was that? Assyria. Yes. Yes, he's got it. He's got it. Excellent. Look at that. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Assyria comes in. And after 10 years, so going back to like 732, of battling and losing the capital of the 10 northern tribes of Israel, so the most, most part of the north of Israel, they are conquered, Samaria is conquered, after three years of siege warfare. And the 10 tribes are then deported by the Assyrian Empire by King Sargon II. And so why is this important? Because Israel is facing its biggest devastation in history up until this point, and they're going to be, they're, they're gone. They're getting marched out. Assyria was feared and hated, okay? They were the bad guys in the eyes of Israel and the ancient Near East. And so you might say to yourself, well, then who's, who's Assyria? And that's the final piece of information that we need to talk about because it's important as we read the story of Jonah, especially the early chapters. So the second verse says, God says to Jonah, get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and uh, call out, I'm going to translate as call out, against her because their evil has come up before me. Okay, so Nineveh, God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh, which was, this is important, Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. So it's, it's the, 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 the big one, okay? The big kahuna, this is like, this is... This is a big deal. We'll find out later on. It's three days you can walk across it. It's gigantic. So that's the capital city. And Assyria, they are Karen times a million, right? They're not good. They're not, they're, they are feared and hated. The Neo-Assyrian Empire at the, uh, came to power at the beginning of the second or first millennium BC. So 
900, 800, 700, that kind of thing, BC. And they are known for, and here's an actual picture from their temple or from one of their archives. So this is what they put on their walls. This is just them smashing skulls. So this is an actual picture from an actual um, building in the Neo-Assyrian Empire from back then, and they celebrate it. They celebrate their violence, okay? These are people who are known for mass deportation of families where they would um, take people, strip them naked, put hooks in their noses, march them with chains all the way out of their, their homeland. These are people who are known for making human shields out of your friends and family. So that's who you have to fight as you're fighting them in war. Like these are not, these are really, really bad people. Uh, we're talking about heads on pikes of your friends and family. We're talking about people taking over the entire ancient Near East. They are on a conquest. And Jonah is right before they're getting on the borders of Israel. So now I want you to think, how would this message come across? These are feared and hated people when you're Jonah. How would this message come across? Their evil has come up before me, God says. You're so, I think you'd imagine an Israelite going... Yeah, baby, they're going down. Like, before, stop those psychos before they get to us, right? Like, that's probably what you're thinking as an Israelite. Except, God is telling Jonah, go and tell Nineveh that they have caught my attention. Like, that's like me walking into Karen's office and being like, hey, you're a mean jerk face and you need to change. It's like, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm just not. That's horrifying. <laughs> There's no chance I'm doing that. But, but Jonah, Jonah's a man of God. It says so in 2 Kings. He's a prophet. He prophesied against the bad king of Israel. And so he's going to save Israel before Assyria comes. And this is again before 722 BCE. So when God tells Jonah, get up, go. You're supposed to think, oh yeah, Jonah, son of Amittai. He's going to get up and go. Jonah gets up and goes, flees to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. And it's actually supposed to be kind of funny because same language, he gets up and goes the other way. And that's what's happening. Uh, God says, get up and go. And Jonah doesn't do it. He goes the opposite direction, literally the opposite direction. I don't know if you could see that. So we've got over here, B is Assyria, Nineveh. A is Israel where Jonah is starting. Joppa is where he's going to go to a port and he's going to start heading all the way over to what seems to be Tarshish over there. We don't have the exact location. So, real far, see Assyria, that way, Tarshish, that way. Can't, it doesn't make sense, you can't get clearer than that, what his intentions are. And so there's more to it than that, though. So in the Bible, Tarshish is described elsewhere, in the book of Ezekiel, actually, as like the Garden of Eden. It's like a paradise, okay? When you think Tarshish, you're supposed to think like Mesopotamian Hawaii, like ancient Near Eastern Hawaii. You're supposed to think um, that like Jonah's grabbing his, the lays, is that what they're called? Lay, like his lay or whatever it is, packing his shorts. He's got a surfboard and he's going to the warm beaches. I guess it'd be like Spain, right? Yeah, Spain. Um, and so he's going to the warm beaches there. He's, there's going to be beautiful trees. He's going to have a Mai Tai. I don't know. And it's going to be good when he gets there. And more than anything, best of all, there's no Assyria. He can be as far from Assyria as possible. Now, here's the thing. We don't actually know, again, forgetting what we know about the book of Jonah, we don't know why Jonah didn't want to go at this point. It doesn't tell you. He just goes, right? So don't you think, as you're reading the story for the first time, it's because he's just terrified of Assyria. Assyria's crazy. They're monsters. So no, I'm not doing it, God. And I think 
we should we, you you can sympathize with that, right? Like he doesn't want to die. He doesn't want to give up his life for the mission. And so he's just saying no. And so I wonder, can you think of a time in your life where you knew God's will for something, but like it was just not in the cards. It's like, it's too scary. I don't like them. It's too scary. No, I can't do it. So he just said, nope. And made west for Tarshish. Maybe you fled. Um, maybe you knew you were going down away from God. And actually in the story, we're going to see Jonah go... The geography of the story is Jonah starts in Israel up on a hill on, in Jerusalem and he goes down to Joppa, down into the ship, and then further down later on. And we'll find out where. And so I think the point here is that Tarshish is like, it's, this, it's in his mind, it's the story in his head that it's, it's going to be better. It's a better place, right? It's a place where we can be happy without following God's will. So he's thinking, Tarshish is going to be good. It's like Eden. I can go there and I'm going to be good and I don't have to deal with Assyria. It's, 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 and we do this. We create stories in our heads about better places of Tarshishes where we can be happy without following God's will for our life, even though we know what it is, right? Even in these cases when we know that's what we should be doing. So it's, uh, I know what God wants me to do, but I just don't want to do it. So if, if that's the narrative in your head, like, you're packing your bags with Jonah, right? If I get more money, if I get more money, like I know I have a family and stuff like that, fine. But like I'll deal with them and I'll be there present later. But I just need more money and then everything's going to be okay and I'm happy. Like that, if that's the kind of narrative, then like you're on your way to Tarshish with Jonah, right? If I could just have a different wife and you have this image in your head or a different family. Or if I, if I can keep this addiction and have my family. Uh, like, like you have this vision of, what, of, of the Tarshish in your head. And you're going, that's actually, that, that will make me happy. That's the paradise place. But if you're doing that, you've already, you know, you've stamped the ticket to Tarshish. If I follow, Je- I'll follow Jesus, unless he asks me to do X. X, too much. So, not doing that, fleeing. Uh, well, if that's your story, you're, you're on the boat. We're, all, we're on the boat to Tarshish with Jonah. So what happens on that boat? Okay, what happens when you're, if you're in that situation? And he went down to Joppa, down again, found a merchant ship going to Tarshish, paid its fare, and went down into it to go with them toward Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so he's going down. And there's a bit of an elephant in the room here, I think. Like, you might be asking the question, is this guy dumb? Like, how is he supposed to, you can't flee from God, right? Like, omnipotent, omnipresent, omnipotent, uh, uh, has omniscience, like, like, God's everywhere. Like, how... Like, kind of silly, Jonah. Is that really, really going to work? And, like, I get it. Um, you should understand ancient Israelite thought as well. So, for them, God's presence, his special presence, was located at the temple. And the temple's in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, at, at B, A, there. Yeah, and so, it's on a hill, and he's going away from it. And so, you might be thinking, and he might be thinking, I should say, he might be thinking that, oh, if I get away from the temple then uh, I'm away from God's special presence. And so I am getting away from God. And you might think that God is less in Tarshish in a way. And you might say, oh, that's silly. Come on now, we do the same thing. Okay, I can show you. Oh, you know, if I just don't go to church, then God won't show up in my life. Kind of the same thing. Oh, if I, if I don't pray or if I don't see my Christian friends, then God's over there and I'm over here. Kind of the same thing, right? Like <laughs> we do this in our minds, it's madness, we think like we can stop doing, stop going somewhere, and then God's going to just not be there. 
Jonah's doing that too, okay? He's doing the same thing. But, but the great thing is that uh, our running doesn't actually mean that God is done with us. And that's, this is where the story gets really interesting. So Yahweh hurled a great wind upon the sea, and it was a great storm on the sea, and the merchant ship was in danger of breaking up. So what, what's going on? God will not let Jonah have Tarshish. He gets a storm. He, he doesn't let us have the, the, the dreams in our head, these fantasy lands we come up with, the Tarshishes, right? He doesn't let us have that if we're ignoring his will and, and, and what he, we know he wants us to do. So God is all about flat tires, inconvenient coincidences, and unforeseen cement walls that we can just bash our heads into constantly, right? He'll put the cement wall up. He does that. And what's interesting here is that, have you noticed that God actually isn't speaking to Jonah, right? He stopped speaking. God spoke to Jonah in the first verse, first and second verse. Uh, now it's like, well, Jonah's not listening to God speak. So he, got to, he has to do something different. He got to get, he's got to get his attention in a different way. And so I think what's going on here is that, like, it's saying we, we can know exactly what God wants us to do, but, uh, and God might have said it, and then we just ignore it. And so then what's God supposed to do? Like say it again and again and again? Or is he going to try something else? A different kind of message to beat it into our thick skulls, right? And so I think that's what's going on here. It's, it's, he's got to use a different means because he's already told him what he wants. And when this kind of thing happens, there's collateral damage. That's what, uh, we're going to see that in the story now. So the mariners, so these are the pagan sailors with Jonah, they're afraid, and they cried out to his God, each to his God, and they threw the contents that were in the merchant ship into the sea to lighten it for them. And meanwhile, Jonah went down into the hold of the vessel and lay down and fell asleep. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, the, the ship is breaking apart, huge storm, Mediterranean sailors are losing it, they're losing their minds, calling out to their gods, their moms, whatever, I don't know, and they're trying to keep the ship from sinking by lightening the load. And so you want to picture a ship actually like this. This is really cool. This is a 4th century inscription BC. And so this is right around that, that time. It's a Phoenician ship. And so this is what it actually looked like because they carved it. They carved it into a wall or something somewhere. And so something like this, there are, the people are on top, throwing their stuff overboard, screaming, frantic. And Jonah, where's Jonah? Walking on down to the bottom, and it's actually even funnier if you're reading this in Hebrew because, like, it's it's paralleling the situation. It's like Jonah is actually still awake in the deck, and then everyone and the chaos is happening above board or on the top on the deck, and he's there and he's still awake, and it's like he's fluffing his pillow, he's 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 saying saying his probably his prayers or something like that, and he's totally not caring about what's going on above the deck to those pagans out there, right? And at this point. You're supposed to go, man, maybe this guy's not so great. Like, he, really? Everyone's freaking out up there and you're getting your pillow ready and going to bed. So, I think the story you're supposed, it's, now there's a crack, right? A crack in the character of Jonah where you go, wait a second. He's, this guy's a prophet? Okay, interesting. That, that, that's what dreams of Tarshish do to people, right? Puts cracks in their character, and you, you begin to lose the ability to empathize and sympathize with others. So what happens then? The captain of the ship, com- the captain of the ship comes down and says to him, uh, why are you sound asleep? Get up. Call on your God. Perhaps your God will take notice of us and we won't perish. 
At first glance, this verse is like, what's going on here? Why is this important? And you, you just got to pay really close attention. So remember when I retranslated something earlier because I accidentally had the wrong slide up there or wrong translation? Uh, so what does the captain come and say to Jonah here? What's the command? He says, get up, call on your God. What was the first thing God said to him? Get up, call at Nineveh. And so what, this is kind of how I see it in my head. It's like Jonah's like waking up from sleep. He's dazed. He's like, oh, what's going on? And he sees this fuzzy image of someone in front of them. And he just hears, get up, call, get up, call. And he's like, like is that God? Or is that, is that the, the captain? Like, it's the same message. He's saying the same thing, get up and call. And so it's another happy coincidence, right? It's like he's the same message of God is coming through the captain. And so it's like God is speaking almost through the captain the same, get up and call, get up and call. And so you're supposed to go, oh, it's like God's another coincidence. There's a storm. There's get up and call again. And there's going to be even more of these coincidences. So they said to one another, the the sailors, come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this disaster has come on us. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they said to him, Please tell us whoever is responsible that that this disaster has come upon us. What is your occupation? And from where do you come? What is your country? And from which people are you? So these pagan sailors are doing what they know. They're casting lots. That's a common way in the ancient world to determine a deity's will. And so, but the thing is, it's not supposed to work, right? It's not supposed to work, but it works. God makes it work. So they're doing this pagan divination kind of thing going on. And then by coincidence, again, on Jonah. Jonah, you're the problem. And so it's like these coincidences are adding up to the point where you're supposed to be like, oh man, can I ignore this? Okay, so um, I'll give give you a story about this in my own life, something like this. Okay, so the other month, um, my wife and I, okay, we were arguing about something, having a fight. It happens, okay? I'm feeling down and uh, I go to the garden. I'm, I'm picking carrots, or I'm going to pick some carrots. And before I do so, um, I'm starting to, like, you know, contemplate. I was thinking about God's foreknowledge, you know, like how God knows future from eternity. And, like, yes, ladies, I'm, men do this. Like, we compartmentalize. So we just had a fight, and now I'm going to think about some abstract subject, like I'm, or like I'm, I'm going to go think about motors or God's foreknowledge or grass or something. And we completely, car- yeah, we do that. I'm sorry that we can do that. It's a real thing. And we just repress, you know. <laughs> Okay, so I'm doing that, but I'm thinking about God's foreknowledge because I'm super holy, right? <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm thinking like, oh, okay, you know, like, does God know that like these carrots in front of me uh, that I'm going to pick, like what they look like before I pick them? So he must know, you know, like before the world was made, God must have like known the billion, trillion, zillion events that lead to these seeds of these carrots and this uh, environment and this garden and this soil, like to how these carrots will be formed. Like, like wow. That's amazing and profound. Like, oh, crazy cool. <laughs> and I'm having this deep thought in my garden, right? And then, but while I'm fighting with my wife, reminder, and so then I go and pull the first carrot, and I pull the carrot, and it actually comes up as two carrots together. And the carrots are like perfectly wrapped around each other in a hug. And, I'm, and like this most beautiful carrot swirling around each other. And I'm just like, mm! <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't want to think about that. Oh, I don't want to reconcile. I'm mad. (laughs) And it's like, okay, coincidence that the carrots like that while I'm thinking about the foreknowledge of God? Maybe. 
But at the same time, but like, man, is that timely, right? <laughs> yeah, so like, that's what's happening to Jonah times a million, all right? <laughs> and <laughs> it's even worse um, for Jonah because of these, these pagan sailors, because what do they do, right? It's not that they're, uh, they're mad or anything. They basically just say like, okay, here's the evangelism softball. We're going to put it on a tee and please just tell us the gospel, right? Who are you? Where are you from? What are you doing? How do we get saved? That's basically what's going on here. And, but Jonah's response is utterly priceless. He said to them, <clears throat> I am a Hebrew. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Like, that's how you're supposed to hear that. Then the men were greatly afraid, and they said to him, what is, what is this you've done? Because they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of Yahweh, because he had told them. Uh, so they said to him, what shall we do to you so that the sea may quiet down for us? Because the sea was growing more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea so that the sea may quiet down for you, because I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you all. Okay, at that point, as I was alluding to with my voice, like, excuse my language, your BS detector needs to go off here. Like it's baloney, it's fake, hypocritical, right? This is not, he, he says, does he fear, he fears Yahweh. Is that true? Is it true? Does he fear Yahweh where he's going? No, he's fleeing far away from Yahweh. Like it's totally just lip service, right? I mean, in some ways, he, I'm sure he believes in Yahweh, right? He does. He's like, yeah, yeah I, I follow Israelite practices. I go to the temple, I worship, in another sense, he's totally botching this. He's running the other way. And I mean, look at his solution. It's insane, right? Um, yeah, just kill me. That'll fix the problem. No, the, what fixes the problem is, oh yeah, you know what? I'm running from God. Okay, you guys, I'm going to go. Uh, I'm going to go to Nineveh. Just turn around, row. We'll go there. Solution. That's the, that's the solution, right? The solution he's giving is insane. <laughs> it's not the right answer. Also, he would be making these sailors like, break the Mosaic law by homicide, right? So, like, Jonah fears God, but he totally misleads and harms these sailors. And it's like a charade he's got going on. And, like, again, is Jonah alone here? Do we not have times when we have flowery language? I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible. I do this, all these things. And then, at the same time, we are headed as quickly as we can in other ways to Tarshish, right? Like, we, we come up with these ludicrous plans for avoiding God's will, what we know he wants us to do. And plans that they harm others. Um, certainly harming these guys is going to make them commit murder. Um, and God might be sending us a million messages. So, okay, so what happens? The men row hard to bring the ship back to dry land, and they could not do so because the sea was growing more and more tempestuous against them. So they cried out to Yahweh, and they said, Oh, Yahweh, please do not let us perish because of this man's life. I do not make us guilty of innocent blood, because you, O oh, Yahweh, did what you wanted. And they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Okay, so... Get these sailors' attitude here. They don't just go, okay, kill the guy, throw him in. They try to row back. Like, they got, like their hearts are changing here. Like, we don't want to kill a guy. We don't want to do this. This guy's plan's insane. It doesn't make sense. But still, they're afraid of murder and all this, but it doesn't work. And they say, I guess, I guess the prophet says Yahweh did what he wants, is going to do what he wants. 
And so like, how are they supposed to know better? Jonah's the one who's on the representative of Yahweh and he's supposed to be speaking God's message and he just blows it. But the surprising thing is that the sea stops, right? It works. It's like, why? Because I think here, here's your coincidence for the sailors. Like Jonah is watching this whole thing, but he doesn't say, uh, all right, you're all dying with me on the ship. Everybody say your prayers, we're going down. He doesn't do that. He does give them a little bit of the truth here. I'm the problem, okay? But kill me. And you're supposed to also think, like, kill you? I thought, well, aren't you afraid of Nineveh? What is going on here? Why don't you want to go to Nineveh? Which we'll find out in a few weeks. Okay, so that's what's going on with Jonah. And I mean, I feel like the same is, is, is true for us. God works even when we, like a little bit of obedience, like, fine, uh, I'm the problem. And then suddenly these sailors are just like converted. The masses are converted from a little bit of truth, right? And you're supposed to laugh at that too. It's like, he gave them this much and they totally repent. They, they get, make vows. They, they swear allegiance to Yahweh. And so it's just like this, it's supposed to give you a little hint of like, hey, maybe Assyria could change too. Hmm. Now, if I were you and you were God, what would you do at this point with Jonah? I would say, Find another prophet, right? We're moving on. New situation. Let's let the guy drown. But that's not God. God follows people even into the depths of the sea. And so now we're going down again. But now we're going down as deep as you get. And Yahweh provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So, Many of you know my story. I've told it up here before. If you're new, you don't know it. But um, like I, in all reality, I was overdosing on drugs before I met Jesus. Um, he reached in. He saved my life. I, in a very real sense, was sinking to the bottom of the sea. And in my last moments, I, it, with the breath that I had, I reached out to Jesus and he saved me. And he, he got me out of that situation. And all these years later, now I'm apparently a professor. It's crazy. Um, a professor of Bible, I should say. Uh, but at that time in my life, like, I knew I was running from God. But it took being thrown into the ocean and sitting in a fish for three days and three nights before I even take, took one step back towards God. And you should know that Israelites saw the ocean as death. They saw it symbolically as death and as far from God as you can get in their, their symbolism of their day. And so he sits, Jonah sits for three days there before he finally says a prayer a prayer that Richard's going to talk about next week. But here's the thing. God still wants him. He doesn't give up on him. After all of this, after all the coincidences, after all of the Jonah just not being great, God still wants to use him. Yeah, so some of you might get thrown into the ocean. You might sit in the fish for days, stinking, crying, saying you want it different, getting mad at God, whatever, right? But in the belly of the fish, we can still turn. He still wants to use us. He still, he still wants to get us back. So he doesn't give up. So what, what do we do with the story? Does, does Tarshish sound familiar? Is that horizon, is the, the west horizon of Tarshish where you're looking to? Do you have a fantasy? Do you have a, a dreamland that you think is going to make you happy, even though you know God's will is over this way? Is he trying to get your attention with a ton of coincidences? 
right? Like, I don't want to overplay that. Like, not every little thing is a message from God. But when it's like, lines up, lines up, lines up, it's like, oh, yeah, there it is, right? Because you're not listening maybe to what he has, what you know you need to do anyways. So are there carrots in your garden you need to look at, is what I'm saying. (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, we do this, and if I'm going to be blunt, like, I think even these walls can sometimes be a bit of a Tarshish for us. We like, we say, oh, I go to church, I read my Bible, I say a prayer at night, therefore, I don't have to actually face God's will for my life. And it's like, maybe God, like, it's all good things, but that's not the call. The call is to give your life to God and let him do what he wants with it. That's the call. That's, that's scary. That's scary, and you might hate it. So, whether you're heading for Tarshish or not, or if you're trying to be faithful to God, this is a really cool other story, and I'm done now, but I'm going to tell you this last story in the New Testament where there's a prophet sitting in a, down in a boat, and he's sleeping, and his disciples come running, and they're scared because there's a storm, and they wake him up, and this prophet's name is Jesus. And Jesus is not like Jonah. Jesus is not running from God. Jesus is God in the flesh. And he controls the storm. He controls the danger. He controls all of it. And he says, you can trust me with your fear. He understands. He tells the disciples, trust me with your fear. He knows about the Tarshishes, okay? He knows what we don't want to do. He knows that deep down we're afraid, that we don't want to lose what our life looks like. We don't want to be perceived this way. We don't want to not have this status, this good life. Whatever it might look like, whatever you might lose for going to Nineveh, He knows it, and he sits in the boat with us. Because that's Jesus, and he says, trust me. So if you follow the way of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, if you go with Jesus, you're not going to punch a ticket to Tarshish. Come come storm, come Nineveh, falling behind Jesus, that's the way. And that's what he says. So if if you're on a ship and you're heading that way, and you see Tarshish off in the horizon, Jesus is the way back. Trust him. Trust him with the fear. He knows it. He knows your fear. He knows you. He knows it inside. He's been through it. He's been through fear. And if your ship is looking a lot more like the inside of a stinking fish right now, well, you can still turn. And so, where are you at today? Um, what, what's, what's, what are you getting from the story? Are, like, do you see a horizon that you're, that you're really flirting with this? And you need to, like, oh, i got to turn this ship around. Or maybe you're really just struggling to be obedient amidst the storm and you're like walking into Nineveh and it's like, ah, all around you, right? Like, you can trust him with that. Like, and, and you can be uh, at ease that Jesus is walking with you in that. Okay, so we have a response song and then we're gonna be done the service today and we want this just as a time that you can ask God. Like, God, let me know. Like, engage with God now and take a time to pray, to sing, and to seek God in this. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.